Hey guys, welcome back to the 10th episode of Novel Culture. This will be the last episode of the season, but don't worry, we do plan to be back with season two sometime near the end of summer. Dates will be posted on my website and social media pages as soon as they have been finalized. Today, we will be talking to Olivia Wildenstein, author of the Lost Clan series and the Boulder Wolf series. Although she has written many other books, these two series will be the main focus of today's discussion. Both the Lost Clan series and the Boulder Wolf series are urban fantasy and paranormal romance mixes. They focus on supernatural creatures and each have their own love triangles as well as spin-off books to round the series out. The Last Clan series is a story that mixes tales about fairies and Native American culture in a very interesting way. Olivia takes us through a magical world and introduces us to the land of the fairies. This story is packed full of action, betrayal, learning about Native American cultures that are surrounding the main character's ancestry, and their entanglement with the fae culture that has been hidden for hundreds of years. The Boulder's Wolves series focuses on a pack of wolves who pride themselves on having no female pack members. Female wolves are just not born into the pack, with, of course, the exception of one. This story follows her journey as she fights her way into a pack that has proven time and time again to not accept her. She continues to figure out her place among an all-male pack and proves to them she is valuable. This series is full of secrets, betrayals, pack politics, and eventually acceptance. Once again, we conducted this interview via Zoom, so bear with me if there are places in the audio where it skips. I did my best to cut up out as much as possible. However, there are always a couple places where it still skips, just to be sure that we understand what our authors are saying. As always, there will be some spoilers in this episode, so be warned. We are going to jump right into the interview today. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. All right, so um, let's go ahead and get started. So the very first question that I have for you is, um, I don't want to dive too deep into your personal life, but if you could tell me a little bit about your background, uh, where you grew up, a little about your family growing up and your family now, and a little bit about your family culture. Of course. So um, I grew up in New York City. I actually grew up at the beginning when I was probably until the age of six uh, between Paris and New York because my father is French and my mother is Swedish. Um, my mother left Sweden when she was 15 because mm -hmm. she came from a very, very poor background, very hard family, hard background. So she quit school and went to work. And uh, so I was never really influenced by the Nordic culture because my mother never taught us Swedish. She just did a total rejection of it. Mm -hmm. However, I look exactly like her. So it's very strange sometimes. Like if I go to, to because not that people assume I speak Swedish, but it's just like, I feel... I feel a little sad that I never inherited the Nordic culture, but at the same time, it's, you know, I understand, um, I understand why she rejected it. And, you know, I have so many other cultures that it's, I don't, I didn't need that one. Uh, I didn't need to reconnect with that one. Mm -hmm. But so I mostly grew up French. Uh, my father's French. Um, 
I went to the French Lycée, even in New York, when we finally moved there when I was six. Um, and I grew up also with the, I want to say the New York culture more than the American culture, because it is quite different than the rest of the States. I mean, we've traveled all mm -hmm. over and I, um, I love the US. I miss it so much because I live abroad right now. Um, but it is true that I was a true New Yorker, I found, um, because it's such like a, a hubbub of like civilizations and mm -hmm. cultures and it just, I fit there. And the funny thing is I lived in Paris for a while when I was, t after, t after college, mm -hmm. I moved here, um, I moved to Paris for my husband and who wasn't my husband yet. And I realized when I moved there, even though I knew the language, I knew the customs, I spoke, I speak with no accent, I was not French. And um, when I returned to New York after a couple years of, in Europe, mostly on vacation because I, still based in Europe, now I'm based in Switzerland, I realized that I wasn't really American either. So I'm kind of, I, you know, I mean, I know I'm not alone in this, but like a kind of a citizen of the world, like you have a little bit of so many different cultures. So you don't really fit in perfectly anywhere. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like it, you know, it did bring a richness to like my, my way of seeing the world, um, about seeing cultures, about being exposed to different um, uh, different uh, traditions, tra different people, different languages. I mean, there's really a wealth of of that in Europe. Um, and I live in Switzerland, which is another in Geneva, which is a little bit like New York in the same. It's very multicultural. Um, my my kids all go to the international school, so their best friends are from all over the place. Mm -hmm. Lebanon, Turkey, I mean, countries I can't even pronounce next to <laughs> Russia. It's, but I, I love the fact that it's so, um, it's so international. And I find um, as much as I did not like living in Paris, I love living in Geneva because it reminds me a little bit of living in New York. Mm. Awesome. Um, so that's mostly where I was, where I am. Uh, and as for culture, so like I said, I was not very exposed to Scandinavian cultures, although I always found like Norse mythology fascinating and I'm not excluding one day writing something about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was mostly, I grew up mostly with the American culture. I mean, pop culture, you know, anything that you absorb in your teens, it was mostly American. Um, French a little bit, but it's true that my French culture has become bigger since I moved to Europe. So in my 20s, 30s. Um, so it's, it shapes you a little less. It does reshape your worldview, but it should, like your core is already formed by the time you're in your teenage years. So I got a little mm -hmm. bit less of that. Um, and uh, my religiously, although I'm not religious, um, I my father is Jewish, um, and so I grew up also in the like in a small it, with the Jewish culture. So the you know a small group. You, I, I know we're going to talk about the the uh, your other questions about my books, but basically small communities. That's. Mm -hmm my fascination with like small communities, bigger communities and the interaction between them sort of came from there. Awesome. So there you 
<laughs> All right. Um, what other kinds of cultures were you exposed to growing up? You said that you grew up in New York, so I'm sure there were a lot, but were there any cultures that you seemed to interact with a little bit more? Um, and uh, how diverse was the area that you were directly living in um, as opposed to New York as a whole? So I went, by going to the French Lycée, I, a lot of the children from the UN um, were there. So my, one of my best friends is from, Chipri from Cyprus. Um, another one was French. Another one was a Moroccan. I mean, I really was exposed already in New York, within New York, to all the, to a lot of different cultures, of really people from all over the place. And then when I went to brown university after high school then also same thing there was a variety you know like i was more exposed to south americans at that point um than i was in new york and i was also more exposed to like turkey greek um uh in some not as many asian asian cultures although that's what i actually studied because i have a fascination with asian uh, asian literature but uh, so people from all over the world, I really, I, I don't know for, you know, I think in New York, most people uh, are always in constant contact anyway with people from everywhere because, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there, there are core New Yorkers, but most people have come, you know, they're, they're first generation or second generation New Yorker, but they're still in touch with their cultures from wherever they, their family came from. When you were younger, did you have an interest in other cultures and mythologies or did that come later in life? So I was always fascinated by Greek mythology, but I think, I mean, they made it, they packaged it in a way, I, I don't know if it was Disney at the time or I don't or <laughs> maybe it was even um, comic books, but it just, I loved uh, Greek mythology, mm -hmm. um, especially since it was so twisted and twisty and I mean, just weird. I mean, there are some stories in there that are very weird. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, Zeus transforming into any animal and like, I mean, it's just like, it's really weird. Uh, then I was also a little bit influenced by, um, by like the Central American cultures. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, Aztecs, Mayas. I mean, it's mostly like the, all the ones we also learned about in school, but it just, I found it very, you know, just their, 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 mo their modern side was fascinating back in school when we studied it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the magic and the fantasy. I mean, it was just beautiful. Um, but that was, uh, that was in school, right? You asked me in school when I was younger. And the grim fairy tales I did read. So I, I think those are Scandinavian actually, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. So I did have a little bit of the, <laughs> that influence, the very dark sort of mystical fairy tales that are also extremely dark and twisted. I mean, oh, yeah. I think that has definitely shaped my, like my, uh, my fascination with the gray characters of the world because it's mm -hmm. it's the world is a weird place to live in I mean, <laughs> yeah and but I'm, I'm, that's what makes it so colorful and 
and fascinating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Has that changed much as you've gotten older? Um, I think it's my shock factor that's changed less. I remember like when I was reading uh, Greek myth in school, I was very shocked by like, you know, like the, mm -hmm. the, the, whatever it was, whether it was like the cheating spouses or the killing, you know, just killing sake or like, it was just such a strange uh, or the, I mean, um, there's still stuff that I'm shocked inside the, like the, I want to say the, the incest and everything else is still something that I'm not at all um, uh, even intrigued by. But uh, but everything else, I think the 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 initial like weird like the the strangeness of these myths mm -hmm. is something that I've incorporated and seen that it actually sort of exists around us also in like the world itself and. Um, I don't know, as you grow up, your views get a little bit less uh, straight and a little bit, you know, yeah. <laughs> meander a little bit more and you're just more open to different things. Mm -hmm. And definitely the discover the nature of the beasts. <laughs> definitely. Um, is there something about your past that really influences the way you write your stories? Mm -hmm. Not sure. <laughs> that no, you know, it's, I've had such a like normal upbringing. Like it's, mm -hmm. um, I've had such a normal family life, a normal everything. The only thing that I want to say is not normal was that I was in New York, but I went to a French school. So, and I was dying to get the American school experience experience and so that's something for example in my contemporaries that I actually bring back they're always in in uh, they're always having the high school the American high school experience I dreamed of having because the French school um, was very strict and very academic and mm -hmm. didn't leave a lot of space for personal growth it was all about like getting the best grades and getting into the top colleges and mm -hmm. um uh, although I have not been, and maybe I'm glorifying American high school, <laughs> but I do feel like you have a little bit more time to be a child, to be, to mm -hmm. discover yourself, to, to find out, you know, like what sports you're good at or what other subjects that are not school related, you could, uh, mm -hmm. you, you, you have time to develop. Um, so that's one thing that d definitely my, my, my growing up influenced that in my books mm. um, trying to live vicariously through my characters <laughs> we're going to shift a little bit over to pop culture so yeah. what kind of books movies and tv shows were you drawn to growing up so i grew up in the well i was a teen in the 90s mm -hmm. um so Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a big, big one. Um, I liked Roswell, but I wasn't as crazy about it. Uh, Dawson's Creek was mm. uh, also one that I liked. Um, but definitely Buffy. Buffy was one of my all-time favorite shows. Um, a little bit later on, there came The Vampire Diaries, but I think that's mm -hmm. early 2000s, right? So yeah, I was yeah. young, a, a little older by then, but still that greatly influenced. Um, so the Vampire Diaries and Twilight culture, I mean, I was smack dab in there. I 
Harry Potter a little bit, but I was almost too old when the Harry Potters, even though I mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the world she created. But um, no, the the Twilight. I mean, those <laughs> I read those so fast, and it was. I mean, I'd always read for pleasure, but I'd never. I think she really made me like Stephanie Mayer's books, like just reminded me that I'd rather sometimes read than sleep, and that hadn't happened <laughs> for a long time. I'm very attached to my sleeping, which I don't get much of. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. So, but as a as a teen, definitely Buffy. I, I'm trying to think. I mean, there was this Angel spinoff show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Angel. I'm probably forgetting shows though. Oh, Friends, Friends. I grew up oh, with yeah. Friends. And stuff. Friends. And <laughs> oddly enough, I grew up also with a show called I Love Lucy. I don't know if you've ever seen yeah, it. Yeah, I have. <laughs> my parents would let us watch the half an hour um, before going to bed. It was at the perfect time. And so I love that too. Yeah. It was very, so the humor. The humor yeah, I, I Love Lucy is great. It was on, um, we, we would get reruns all the time growing up um, on like Cartoon Network and TV Land and things like that. So I've seen a decent amount of I Love Lucy and it's it's really fun. It's always been kind oh, of. It's fun. And, but it, you know, it's funny because it's fun. And at the same time, it's heartbreaking now that I know like the mm-hmm. real story of her, like she was just a very sad, sad, miserable person. So it's just like, yeah. crazy. Oh yeah. Um, but so those were my, my big ones. I don't know. Am I forgetting something? I'm trying to think. I feel like there must have been other shows that I watched also that were, huh. I just remember recording them on VHS. Wow. <laughs> that definitely takes me. That's um, okay. And I'd watch them. So because I had so much freaking homework all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I would work until 10 p.m. every night. Like I had so much homework. I just, when I went to college, I like, I partied all the time. Like I did not want to study anymore <laughs> because I'd been so overworked. But I remember that the only break I could take was if I went and we had this like treadmill inside a closet in my in my house that nobody ever used, but there was a little TV in front mm-hmm. of it, a little VHS player. And so I recorded my Buffy the Vampire shows. And since <laughs> I wasn't allowed to watch TV during the week, um, but I was allowed to watch it while on the treadmill, I started watching all, all my shows at that point, and I associated running with like my time and great time. So <laughs> that kind of, that sort of shaped my mentality even to today. I mean, I still love going to the gym because I think I still associated with like me time. Mm-hmm. Um, all the time I got to watch all the pop culture. I grew up with Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. Wow, I remember receiving her first single in the mail. And like a teen magazine, <laughs> so funny. It's so interesting yeah. how different things are from the from how they were in the nineties. Because I mean, I was I was young in the nineties. Like I was born in nineteen ninety, but like I remember a good chunk of the nineties, and and it really shaped the person that I became. Because you know, I grew up listening to Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and the Backstreet Boys, and like watching Buffy and all of these weird things that are just so. 90s like especially friends you know what oh, I mean man. like it's so oh, yeah. like quintessential 90s and yeah. it really shaped the way that we grew up um being you know even being so young in the 90s but um yeah yeah it was insane how different things are now especially just like discovering new music something yeah. so simple 
Spotify today. I mean, I don't listen to anything else than Spotify or the radio actually in my car sometimes, but mm-hmm. uh, mostly Spotify. And they yeah. send you like the new, uh, like the new playlists. On, I don't know if you get it on Friday, new music on Friday. And I love it. I discovered tons of new artists and I love yeah. it. Definitely. And I mean, the same is said, the same as with books, right? Like you used to have to physically walk into a bookstore, into a library to look at the books and read the back and figure out what you like. And now you can just like surf Amazon for hours and find so many. You almost have too much, but at the same time, it is extraordinary. I mean, to have that much at your fingertips and instant like gratification, Mm -hmm. which is also hard on I find like on this new generation because they're so used to instant gratification that when mm-hmm. they don't get it in other things in life, it's very tough on them. Whereas, yeah, I mean, maybe you didn't grow up with dial-up. I was probably at the end of dial-up when you discovered internet. Mm-hmm. But yeah, did you ever? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, connect dial-up. <laughs> I mean, you'd have time to read a whole chapter of a book by the yeah. time that loaded. <laughs> Definitely, that shaped you as like you. You know, you became a much more patient person. And yet, oh yeah especially with the internet, like when it's slow or it's not working, I'm much more patient than um, like I used to teach um, an after-school program at an elementary school <laughs> and they don't know life without the internet. They don't know life without high speed, high speed internet. So it's just really funny when I'm like, oh, it'll, it'll happen eventually. And they're just like, what? No, why isn't it working now? And I'm like, it's fine. Yeah, it's more understanding fine. that Wi-Fi is not connected all over like the city. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, the next question is, has your taste in books, movies, and TV show changed as you've gotten older? Or do you tend to like the same types of things? So, and, uh, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about it the other day, but my, ta- my taste, I think, I mean, definitely they, they mature. You, you want to, you know, you want a more mature love story. But then again, I think it all depends on the way it's written. I mean, I'm still a huge sucker for all the coming of age stories. So I still like teen teen stories um, mm-hmm. usually I like my stories with heavy romance but again like it, it depends on the book or the the author some authors are just so brilliant and they create such brilliant characters that mm-hmm. um if the romance tend it takes second place it's fine um but I want to say my day-to-day readings it's, it's true I gravitate towards more self-published books than traditional published books because I find um traditional published books follow the same story arc. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very, uh, it's very predictable. And as I don't know if it's as a reader of many, many books or as an author, but I, I'm annoyed with the story arc because I, I don't want. It's not that I, I mean, they can still create surprises in their plots, but I still know where the story is going to end up. Yeah. And I must say, like the self-published authors freedom to create a new story arc and the new story arc sometimes is ways I mean it's just like it's, mm-hmm. it is it, it 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 is in itself a surprise like where the story ends up and I I I think I want to be surprised I mean yeah even though I hate surprises in real life in my, books, <laughs> my stories I want I want to not know um exactly where I'm going mm-hmm. um and strangely enough, when I write books, I also, even though I do write out plots at the very, very beginning, I usually set them aside because I don't want to know exactly where I'm going. I am, um, I mean, I, I know where I'm supposed to be heading and I'm <laughs> pretty sure I'm going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I like all the little twists and turns and accidents that happen along the way. Um, and um, so this is mostly how my reading has changed. It's, I, I, I like a little bit more maturity usually in my stories. Um, although I love middle grade fiction. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I do like everything, um, but I do like surprises. And I find there's, uh, I get a little bit bored if it's not, if it's too predictable. Uh, predictable. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have seen that a lot with the self, because I read a lot of self published um, authors, uh, especially. Yeah. I mean, I, a couple years ago, I decided that I was going to do Kindle Unlimited, and now that's almost exclusively what I read. Yeah. <laughs> um, now they have some choice on it. They didn't yeah, have there's, it at the very beginning. Yeah, but there's so many options, and there's so much to choose from, and there's so many different types of stories, and so I feel like I've expanded the types of stories that I read, especially because, you know, for me personally growing up, um, I was and have always been super into supernatural and paranormal romance and like that's it <laughs> and I feel like I've kind of gained this love for different types of contemporary romance that I never would have picked up beforehand like I remember one of the first books that I picked up and read for myself was one of the Anita Blake books the, uh, which one the Anita Blake books by Laurel K Hamilton Never. Oh, I started reading one actually, but like last year only. And but yeah, no, wait, is it her? I don't know. Absolutely. There. But yeah, um, and uh, yeah. So I was I was maybe thirteen at the time, and the, the first six books in the series are like pure horror, paranormal action type books. And then once you get past book six, there's a lot of borderline erotica. Oh yeah on top no, of the like thing. horror and action. Um, but that was the type of like, she's a necromancer and she's a vampire hunter. And so, you know, it's like in the thick of paranormal type storylines. And that ended up being a lot of what I liked growing up. Um, and so it wasn't until, you know, maybe a year or two ago where I started reaching out past those paranormal stories and trying other things that I think I wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for all these indie authors with all these self-publishers on Amazon and on other platforms that just write completely different stories from what you used to see on bookshelves in the bookstore. Exactly. Because there's still a trend in the traditional world and there's, I mean, we're not affected by these trends as much as mm -hmm. indies. Yeah. We still write what we like, which is which is really liberating. As an author, it's really nice. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, it's funny. The, the, I, I was reading like, uh, actually, I mean, I told you Twilight, but I also was reading this Barbara Cartland woman. My mom was loved romance. Now she's pure thriller and crime <laughs> thing, but she used to read a lot of romance books. And I remember like when I was maybe 10, she used to give them to me. And you know, I'd go hide because they had all these like, there's a lot of historical romance. So there's like all the, you know, yeah. like the, those covers on there, but also like the, there's like the bodice rippers, <laughs> the bodice rippers. Exactly. Um, but there was also other like romances that I uh, read and like uh, from this uh, French author called Barbara. No, she's not a French. I don't even know where, maybe she is French. I have no idea. 
I think I read them in French. I don't know. Anyways, like romance authors, she wore all pink. Her dog was pink. Everything was pink in her life. And she, <laughs> she wrote these, like, I want to say these pink books. I mean, they really were like just, you know, fluffy romance. Mm -hmm. But I was 10 or 12 and I was just like, wow. You know, <laughs> very, yeah. um, very, uh, yeah, it was like my first step into like, yeah, you know, a little corner of the world that women already knew, but I didn't know yet. So it was fun. I know, right? It took me a very long time to get there. But I think also, like, I think a lot of it is the influence of Harry Potter. Like, I was really young when Harry Potter came out. So my mom read them to us. And like, those are really like the first books that I remember being read. And I think that that influenced like how much I favor books with magic. Well, and they're more. Books yeah, I like mean, fantasy. you live in the real world, so you just oh, yeah. want to do something different. But exactly. This is why, like, even straight out romances, you want a little something different with your mm -hmm. romance. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I, for example, like, there's certain tropes in romances that I absolutely hate and I'll never pick up, like billionaire romances. I just find <laughs> But I'm a sucker for small town romance because mm -hmm. I've never lived in a small town. And I think it's, you know, the whole going back to like what you didn't have growing up, what you want to. Um, yeah, definitely. I want the office romance. I mean, I don't know, all those things are. <laughs> Is there a specific show, movie, or book from your childhood or teen years that remains in your mind when you make your stories? Mm -hmm. um, many, many, many. I think it's like a, a mix of everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm like, um, I used to cook a lot. I used to bake a lot um, and cook. I stopped. But in the same way I make like recipes, even though I base myself on recipes that existed. I like to add different ingredients or try out new things or cut out some things and put more of something else. And I I like the whole chemistry part of, mm -hmm. of creating something new with everything you have. Because I mean, the, nobody is original. It's just the way you put your own spin on something. Um, mm -hmm. I was, I mean, we were talking about like these bodice rippers and like the romance books. I mean, definitely I was, I think, influenced by that um, almost too much because I find like, you know, in my head, men still have a certain role in society and women have another role in society. And it's, it's changing. You know, I, I see the dynamic changing where, you know, men do not have to bring in the money or, you know, whatever it is like. But it is, I was configured to think this way. Um, so I want to say, like, I still like my alpha men in my books, mm -hmm. even though I do have a thing also for strong female leads now. I find it very interesting. Um, so it's finding the balance. I loved, there was a movie when I was growing up. Again, I think it's because I watched it a little younger than I should have. So it always, uh, it was called uh, Dangerous Beauty. I don't know if you saw this one. It was about courtesans in Venice. And just a beautiful story. But again, you know, when you think of it, it's about, I mean, even though it's historical and it's in Venice, it's kind of about prostitution. So it's a very strange, like the, the role, the, where women were in society compared to where they are now. Yeah. But what I loved about Dangerous Beauty was the fact that, you know, to get to the top, she went through the bottom, if you want to get, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. She didn't, um, it didn't, she didn't see it as like, you know, staining her as a person, just it, 
formed her as a person. And it's a different way of getting there. And I think that's definitely influenced how I take my heroines from one place to another, because, you know, whatever you do, wherever you come from, it doesn't define you. I mean, you still, what you do defines you, how you, how you go through things defines you. Uh, another huge movie of my childhood and remains to this day my absolute favorite movie is called Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I mean, it is <laughs> I absolutely love that movie. Yay. Yay. So it's ridiculous again. And again, it's men kidnapping women. I mean, when you yeah. think of it, it's like so wrong. Everything about it is so wrong. And I keep on like, because it was my feel good movie and it's just like this big happily ever after. And mm -hmm. it was so pretty perfect and singing and ah, I loved it. Um, and there was like the enemies to lovers and trope, yeah. very big in there. But, and I keep on thinking, hmm, I really want to write a paranormal fantasy romance using Seven Brides for Seven Brothers as like my story axis. <laughs> and then I'm thinking to myself, if I write about men kidnapping women, I mean, it's just like, wow, I really need to make those men like kidnap them for a really, amazing reason because if not like <laughs> it's detestable when you think of it so I mean yeah you're definitely influenced by what you've seen and what you've read and everything else but it's very I mean you have to apply it you have to find like how it can still apply to the there's very few things you can take from the past and bring them back to the to the present because the world has changed so much yeah um and I know we'll talk about it in the boulder wolves but this whole gender equality you did ask at some point why yeah an all male pack was because I wanted to explore like the, the, the place of women in this, like in the world. I mean, there's still, mm -hmm. it's still a gender, any unequal gender, gender world. Um, anyway, we'll come to that, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, the next question is, are there any, well, you sort of answered this already. It's, I'm asking if there are any specific books, movies, or TV shows that you take inspiration from when you're writing. Um, anything with high romance, I want to say that I, that I saw as a kid. If I, I mean, if I liked the, if I liked the trope from there, I'll, I'll stick to it. I mean, mm -hmm. I'll try to reapply it. But again, it's like you mostly little bits and pieces that you try to, weave in but it's mm -hmm. the core is not um uh not a big like i wouldn't say like i did twilight and i put fairies in it because i didn't but it is true like i loved vampire diaries and the the i rose petal graves and the whole series sort of grew from vampire Di from like vampire diaries too you know, like Ace is very much like, I love the character of Damon. So I try mm -hmm. to Ace a little bit like Damon. Um, yeah. But then there's, you know, that love triangle and that's more in the, that's more in my Boulder Wolves uh, series. So yeah, there's a little bit of mm -hmm. pop culture here and there. <laughs> now that you said it, I can totally see Damon and Ace. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now that you yeah. said it, I'm just like, oh, my God, that makes so much more sense now. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and Stefan was a little bit cruise at the beginning and then he kind of turned into somebody else, but it's just like, yeah, there was a little bit of yeah. the Vampire Diaries influence. Whatever I watch at the moment I write, it does influence. Mm -hmm. So when I write, when I look at a lot of thrillers, I mean, you can bet there's going to be a lot of murderers in my books. 
Good to know. Exactly. No, but I do try to stay away from reading um, in the genre that I actually write because I find like at mm, some okay. point it can be too influenced. Um, I've visually, I mean, series wise, I, I'll watch whatever there is. I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I do, I want to watch something good. So whatever there is. But book wise, I, I'm writing angels, for example. I will not read any books about angels at all. I'll read other supernatural creatures, but if not, I'd rather read new adult romance. Okay. Something different. Or thrillers. Love thrillers too, actually. <laughs> On your website, it shows links to Spotify playlists for each book. Um, right now, the only one that I was able to actually look at was the Pack of Love and Hate list. Um, but how does music play a role in your writing? Um, I listen to, I think Spotify actually told me this, you know, I'm there a year and listening and it's like six to eight hours a day of music. I listen. Oh, wow. I, I write with music. I really, um, I find it takes away all the white noise in my head and around me. And even though I do listen to a variety of plays, most of the time I'll listen to the playlist I build with the book and I'll listen to it in a loop, in a loop, in a loop. Like, it can drive, I'm sure, people crazy. But <laughs> you listen to it enough so that the words, I'm not even registering the words. And they, mm -hmm. they, there's something about the rhythm of like certain songs that will come up in certain scenes. I, I, there's most of my like love scenes, like there's a couple songs that I need to listen to them when I'm writing them. It's just like, it's funny because it just, it's just because it has like this romantic or, I don't know what it is. It can be very different. It can be like classical movie, um, like a, not a classical movie, uh, like a soundtrack from a movie, like an epic mm -hmm. movie for battle scenes. It can be so many different things, but I, so I vary a lot, but I do build playlists for every book. But I don't know why you can only find the other ones. I guess they're not searchable, but I have to, I'll look it up. I'll look at that after. Yeah. Yeah, I think that they were, because they were on your website, but when I clicked them to open them in Spotify, they didn't open. That's so strange. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. You know, it's funny. I, 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 don't, um, I don't share a lot on Spotify. I would love for Spotify to become a bigger hub so that I can see what, I know you can see what other people are listening to, but I don't, uh, I don't, it's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. I wish they'd tell me, oh, this person listened to this whole play. This maybe it'd be interesting for you. And yeah, discover something. that would be really cool. I think that that would probably increase how much new music I actually take in. I feel like I used to listen to music all of the time. Um, and then like the last couple of years or so, I'm just very into things that I already know. And I haven't really like done a lot of music discovery, but um, I think that now to listen to podcasts yeah. are amazing. I think that's, yeah, that's one of my biggest problems is I spend a lot of the time if I am listening to something, I'm listening to a podcast. And so yeah. it's like completely changed the way that I discover music because I used to listen to music all the time. And now it's like I'm either reading or listening to a podcast or like working. Um, and when I work, I listen to classical music, which does not, is not helpful in music discovery. <laughs> so most of those guys are well no actually there's a lot of new classical music I was going to say most of those composers are dead but no a lot of them are still alive all right so uh, I know that you have 
other books, but Mm -hmm. I want to specifically talk about the Lost Clan and the Boulder Wolves series, uh, mostly because um, I love them, first off, but what they're both mostly finished, I will Mm say. And um, I find that I have an obnoxious amount of questions about those two. So if I was to ask about all of your books, we would be here forever. Mm-hmm. So I want to start with the Lost Clan series. Um, and the first question that I have is what inspired you to write this particular story? So it's a very strange um, how I got into the Lost Clan. I signed up to be part of an anthology with other authors and I was not writing paranormal romance even though that was my like big love at the time was paranormal romance for some reason Mm -hmm. I was trying to still break into the traditional industry and the traditional industry was all about contemporary romance Mm -hmm. Um, and they were not buying paranormal romance so I was not writing I mean I did write a lot of it not very good ones so they're shelved away Um, (laughs) But so I wasn't exploring that. And so I signed up to do this anthology about fairies. And I remember going to see my mom and said, oh, you know, I signed up to write about fairies, but I have no idea about fairies. I think (laughs) the fairy I have in my mind is like Tinkerbell. So I don't know. And she's like, oh, no, fairies are fascinating. My mother, my mother who does not listen to paranormal, I was like, how? And she's like, oh, there's so many great stories. You have to look them up. Oh, it's fascinating mythology. I was like, wow, mom. I mean, so funny. Um, So I started looking into it. I discovered a couple things. But again, like fairies, when I read, when I wrote Rose Petal Graves, it was not yet popular. It was just about to like become popular. Um, Sarah J. Maas hadn't written it. Holly Black hadn't written them yet. Um, There were a couple series that were written. So I went and dug those up. I forgot which ones they were. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Iron, the Iron, Julie Kegawa series. Mm-hmm. So I read those and the problem is they've aged a little bit by the time I read them, but it is still interesting. So, you know, I learned about fairy bargains and I learned about, you know, a couple other things, but then I wanted to write something different. And again, like I told you, like once I start writing a story, like a certain creature, I will stop reading it because I don't want to be influenced anymore. And um, I remember like with the pointy ears, I, you know, I asked myself this question, did I want pointy ears or not? And I was like, why do they have to have pointy ears? Or why not? But everybody writes them with pointy ears. Let's do it differently. And um, so far, it's different casts. I actually started reading Karen Mary Moaning, but after I finished reading uh, Rose Petal Graves, um, and I loved her series, actually, although I stopped at book five because I got a little weird. Did you read her or not yet? Dark not Fever. Yet. Not yet. Oh, it's, it's on my cute. list, but I haven't read it. Oh, it's really fun. It's really fun. And there's great, I mean, it's fun. It's an urban fantasy, high on a romance, really fun. Um, and so that, I mean, when I read her series that really influenced a little bit more the Unseely Seely, where I really like mm-hmm. divide. I mean, there was already, you know, I had my fairy hunters, but I hadn't called them Unseely yet. And yeah. I had my face. And at that point, I was like, oh, wait, great spirits, 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 spirit. And it just kind of like all fell into place on its own. I know it sounds <laughs> really strange that I don't think readers want to hear that authors don't know where they're going with their stories <laughs> or how some things like, you know, twists they didn't see coming came to be because the authors 
didn't see them coming either. Um, but that is kind of, uh, I'm answering a lot of the questions out of order, but you're on Sealy and the Sealy, this is how they really, sh you know, took shape, like bigger shape at that point. Um, and as for my Danilis, the reason I added the water fairies is because I actually added it in one of the little, you know, I had little extracts from the historical text uh, that that uh, the Rowan Wood Legends book that uh, Kat was reading. And there was a um, type of, you know, uh, uh, fairy called the Mishipishu. And I think it is actually, if I remember correctly, I think it was an actual water sprite or uh, something that I saw that existed in native myth. So it's not completely mm -hmm. something yeah. that I like created. And then I was like, well, if it's a sprite, it's kind of a fairy. So might as well make, you know, a, a third cast. Yeah. And I find, you know, you were, we were talking about how like the, the world influences your writing, but I find studying like different cat, like there's some societies with like such a strong caste system. I mean, you look at India, it's like really, really strong. Um, so I just thought it was interesting to have this caste system be by the type of power you have, by the type of magic you have. Yeah. But it, but it still defined you because if you were the minority, you weren't oh I mean it it was defined by the 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 size of the group and the the power that they had yeah um, and I think I wanted at some point even though Kat at the beginning I really did think she would be a sealy unsealy um but then it just felt unnecessary that she be a sealy and this is why she ended up like with another like power I think I decided that in book two um so that's where all my, I hope it wasn't too spoilerish. Oh, no, yeah. you're fine. <laughs> I think you're okay. Well, that's how I created all these different like types of fairies and where they came from. Native myth is another one of those like myth. I was, uh, I've, I love cultures. I love, I mean, if I could have gone back to college, I would have studied anthropology because I think it's absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the native mythology was always something, I mean, we talked about it very little in history, which I found yeah. such a shame, especially growing up in, in the US. Um, and I knew very little of it. So I studied it a lot actually in college. And I was, I, I am fascinated by, you know, all this lore that they have. And there's some, I mean, there's some incredible things like that they have, but at the same time, it's a very brutal society. So, you know, I, when I, I created my own tribe because I wanted them to have their own history and their own, um, uh, their own, uh, beginning and powers and everything else and own folklore um, because it wasn't my culture also. So I didn't feel right to use a tribe that actually existed. This is mm -hmm. how the God was came to be. Um, but they are largely based on the Ojibwe people who lived in the state of Michigan. So it was still mm -hmm. because geographically my story takes place in Michigan, which I've never been to actually in my life. Uh, <laughs> So that's how the Gotwas came to be. Um, but they are not a native tribe. I mean, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So you also created a fae language that as far as I can see, it wasn't super extensive and isn't like the other fae languages that I, at least I've seen in other books. Why did you decide to create their language the way you did? And how did you go about doing this? So 
I, every language that I create, I always base it on a language that does exist because it helps me. Um, I think it helps me with like, you know, the finding the right words and the right mm -hmm. uh, things. But it's also, for example, the Fey language, I based it on Latin, mm. a lot of Latin. And I find like, I just found that their culture in my mind, even though they were not, you know, like it was Romans or anything, but it's just like, I found their culture was very similar the way I like designed it in my mind to, it just made sense for me that their language would be like one of the roots of like all the other languages. Mm. Um, so that's how their uh, language came to be. I did not make it as consequent or right as like the, as other languages that I've done actually in other books. Um, but I also don't want to weigh down a book with like, I find like on, when I'm reading a book and there's too much passages and like weird languages, like I disconnect. I mean, it's because mm -hmm. I don't know the language. That's very hard. And at the same yeah. time, you don't want to be explaining to your reader, like, oh, this is what it means every time. Um, so this is why you have like more words here and there certain times where it's more important. Um, but so that's where the Fey language uh, come from. And Nevera, uh, while I'm in my Fey world, I named it Nevera because it made me think of Neverland. I don't know, again, <laughs> like the Peter Pan influence. Uh, so the, yeah, there, yeah, I think it was the Tinkerbell. You know what? I do think the name Nevera came from like my only fairy knowledge of which was Tinkerbell <laughs> at the time. And this is why, but then I thought it sounded nice. Yeah, I mean, it works. It's a good name for it. I like it. And it because it's different, but it's also not hard to pronounce like you get sometimes with like other worlds and other places, um, which I think is really great, a really great way to work a new, completely new world into the story. Simplify it. But it, honestly, it's for me, like the high fantasy books, like when it's too complicated, whether it's the magic system or the world itself or the geograph geography it makes me work so much that I don't know as a reader I disconnect with the story sometimes and it's one thing I really am trying not to do mm -hmm. to my readers is like making it soft like everything you know yeah it's there but it's not too different we talked a little bit about this already but the way that you approach Faye in the story is different from other Faye stories um Mostly because I think other Fae stories are very heavily focused on like the original Fae fairy tales. Um, why did you decide to create the Fae the way that you did in this story? Um, again, I think it does come from two things. Like my knowledge of fairies being very small at the time of writing this, which mm -hmm. turned out, I mean, for the better in the original, like in the originality uh, I think if that had been heavier influenced, I, there would have been heavier influences and heavier yeah. similarities to other works in the text. Um, and why? Because I also, I mean, you who studied anthropology, like I want my books, they're paranormal. So they're based in the real world. So I want them to reflect something of the real world. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of this one, it was really about the different castes or different, you know, different cultural groups and how they don't mix, even though the root of them is all the same, if you, mm -hmm. if you look deep down. Um, so that influenced my fairy culture, uh, my fairy, the bargains are the same though, as like, I know there's bargains in other books. The Rowan Woodberries were there, but they're not used the same way. The, 
I know I have um, stones that are not used the same way because I was thinking, you know, there's stones that are very important and native myths. So also like if you're mm -hmm. combining different mythologies, making it work for um, applying them to the, your specific uh, characters. Mm -hmm. You talked a little bit about the reason that you created the Celian, Uncelian, Denali the way that you did, um, but it's very different from what you find most of the time in other stories. Uh, why did you decide to have them differ the way you did? Um, and why was the addition of the third type so important to this particular story? And I guess the last question is why three and not four? Um, like some courts seasons, yeah, yes. are based on the four seasons. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's a part like where it's accidental. I, I swear. Just kind of <laughs> I know it's it sounds like awful, um, but it's so true. It really is kind of an accident. Um, and also because I was I was welding native myths with like the paranormal fairy myth mm -hmm. that I knew superficially. And I, and I was trying to create my own myth. And I think um, when you do that, you try to do something at the, at the same time that, you know, there are three different, so it's not, you know, there's not four, there's not two, there's three different. Water fairies, another element, the air fairies are the, the Seelies and uh, the Unseelies have like a more grounded like earth, if you want. So yeah, I'm missing an element actually. <laughs> you see, that could be for my sixth book. People will ask me, how did you come to it? I was like, I guess to my podcast interview with Desiree. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, it's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a different combination of different things. It's, and part chance, part part thought, part part like a plot. It's yeah. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about why you named uh, <clears throat> Nevera the way you did, but why did you choose to go with cr essentially creating your own world for the Fae as opposed to? Um, using the fae worlds that they tend to have in fairy tales and, and a lot of other um, pop culture or books? Um, because I find, I mean, at the same time, I didn't want to go high fantasy, but I did find like they exist in a, in a realm usually that is on earth now that I've read more uh, mm -hmm. extensively. Their their world is is on earth, but it's works differently and the nature is very different so nature is a huge part of the fake culture for me mm -hmm. i mean that i've seen and that's something i have brought back in never where they have their own like species of trees and um of everything um why did i create a world i don't know i felt like there was again the 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 thing of a be of living in a bubble i know they described the 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 <laughs> my unseelies describe it as the basitogan, the, like the bubble in which they live. And it is, mm -hmm. I wanted to show a very hermetic society where they live in a bubble because a lot of societies out there, we live in a bubble. I mean, it's not yeah. the real world. Then you go to the real world and suddenly your like view of it is different, but you still have that like home. Yeah. That's uh, 
very hermetic home and never kind of, you know, came from there. I mean, there's portals. Some of them are rather humoristic how to get there, but it's, <laughs> it's all like they lead to a different world. Um, so that's how never I came to be, but there's some, I mean, there's still a sky, there's still earth, there's still clouds of it. There's still stuff that, that we have in the real world. It's just a little bit, you know, the mm -hmm. rules are different up there. Yeah. Something that shows in your story, um, that is the same as in many other Fae stories is that time in the Fae world travels differently than on Earth. In Reckless Cruel Airs, you actually show us Earth year versus um, Nevera year. Why was this important to the story and how did you decide the differences between the years? Um, so the differences came about, I think already in book one, where just, I mentioned that time didn't flow the same because mm -hmm. I wouldn't expect a world that's different. Like you access it through a portal. Why would time be the same? I mean, it's very, yeah. I, and fairies live a longer life, but they're not immortal. So I needed them to have a place where time stretched out a little bit differently. Um, I like the idea of the, of time's elasticity, elasticity, oh my God, I'm not even going to try that word. Um, the elastic quality of time, let's just go with there. Um, as for reckless cruel airs, I put, and I'm going to answer two questions in one, because you did ask, it came out like a year and a half after the last book in the series. Yeah. Uh, I had the intention of writing a spinoff with her child. Like I, for me, she was already born and at the end of the trilogy like uh and I consider even Lily's book like part of the trilogy if you want yeah but yeah at the end of there like Amara and my head was already there uh she was called differently but she was Kat and Ace's child and the reason I put off writing the book believe it or not was because of this time constraint that I had where mm -hmm. it had to take place in the future and I was thinking I don't want to write futuristic <laughs> what did I do because I don't know and so I kept on like you know trying to figure out what would the world look like in a hundred years from now because like if I want them yeah. to be 18 with all my system in place and if I wanted to take place in the real world a little bit I needed to be a little bit accurate like in the world uh, years um, so this is one of the reasons why the book came about way later was because I was putting it off because of the futuristic uh, aspect to it um, the day I decided to stick them in a prison world that was another fantasy world, mm -hmm. I decided I was ready to write the book because then there would be very little futuristic scenes and yeah. there are very little like earth scenes in there. Yeah. It's mostly <clears throat> the fantasy world. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I'm putting off because I do want to write the sixth book. Uh, I have a story for one of the characters. I will not reveal which one because it would be super spoilers for the for <laughs> everyone somebody who came back and I really want to write his story but his story yeah his that's story, a great way to answer that because those of us yeah. that have read it know exactly who you're talking about now <laughs> well they'd have to read reckless girl airs to figure out who I'm talking about but to write his story um the reason I'm putting it off again is because I know it's going to be a futuristic one and mm -hmm. this time I don't think I'm going to set it into a high fantasy world. I think it's going to be mostly on earth okay. so that it is different than, yeah. than rulers. And that's the reason I'm putting it off again is because like, <laughs> I'm comfortable writing about a futuristic society. Uh, I'm going to get there mm -hmm. uh, I need to figure out my plot, but I'm going to get there. I mean, I have, I have sketches of what I want, I want to do in my head, but we'll see. 
Um, I'm going to ask a question that I think I wrote later on in here, but um, since we're discussing a future book too, um, when you first started writing this, this story, when you first started with Rose Petal Graves, did you expect it to be this many books or was it, you know, supposed to be one book or was it supposed to be just the trilogy? Like, did you have a plan or did you just kind of decide to let it happen? <laughs> no, so Rose Petal Graves was actually a novella at the very beginning. Uh, this is mm-hmm. why there's part one, part two. And part one was the actual book. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I can't, you know, just have... 40,000, I don't know how long it was, but I was like, that can't be a whole book. I need a whole book. So I reworked it. And then, you know, like the romance is very like rickety rockety in like book one, because it's like, I wasn't sure who she, I wanted her to end up with. Mm-hmm. And um, so already one book, one book turned into a full book after being re, uh, after having a big addendum. It's like twice, that's longer than the part one. Um, and then from there, um, from there again, like, you know, like the way you finish book one, I was like, yes, I'll definitely have a book two. And then the way I finished book two, I opened to book three and the way book three finished opened to book four. <laughs> and so I don't always like plan like how long I want my books to be. Recently, I mean, I do. Okay. As a reader, I love series, but I like mini series. Like if they yeah. go on too long at some point, I disconnect. I don't want to read about it anymore, especially if it's the same characters because the romance is just like, I mean, all the subplots, but mostly this is a romantic mm-hmm. subplot, so it keeps it going. And I don't want her to break up all the time or never to get together. It like frustrates me more than anything else. Yeah. Um, so even now when I plan out stories, I am, uh, I know we're not going to talk about the angel books, but for me, like I want to do standalones. I'm dying to do standalones, mm-hmm. interconnected standalones. Um, as a small business owner, I need to write more series because those are like the big, I mean, it's very hard because as an author, you are guided by your passion, but you're also at at some point when you're, you know, considering it as your job, you are guided also by numbers. So you need to create, um, I need, I want to go back to, I'm going to write uh, another trilogy afterwards, but I would never make it more than a trilogy for the same characters. Mm -hmm. Even a trilogy I find harder to write. I'm wondering if I wouldn't go for duology maybe and then mm. spin-offs in the same world. Um, I know with spin-offs told by other characters, you you can lose your your readers or they they got so attached to one character that's very hard to get into like another character mm. uh, as a leading lady. Um, but as an author it also like it just makes it everything more fresh. So yeah. I love spin-offs. And I will keep on writing spin-offs in all my series uh, <laughs> and adding them every year and a half, two years later, whenever, <laughs> whenever, whenever the comes. Visit my world. Exactly. Exactly. Something that is common in Fae folklore is the idea of uh, striking a bargain, which you already talked a tiny bit about, um, mm. or that thanking the Fae can result in a favor being owed. You address this in a very specific manner with the use of a goji? I'm not good sure. Good yes, good joy. And then, again, you uh, pronounce it the way what it doesn't yeah. really invented. Strange word. Yeah. Uh, invented word. A uh, magic deal that causes physical pain to the other party if they fail to complete their end of the bargain. Why did you decide to address this, uh, to address favors owed to Faye this particular way and why was it important to Reckless Cruel Heirs? 
Um, I find that when you strike of when you, you know, promises in the real world are often broken, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't have, there's no actual consequence to breaking a promise. I mean, besides feeling really bad about it, or, I mean, there's various sorts of promises, but you know, there's not. So I wanted there to be an actual physical consequence. Like if Mm -hmm. somebody breaks a favor, it's like, because favors are so part of inherent to the fake culture yeah I really wanted them to be very important um and so this is why there's a physical consequence to favors um as for why was it important to like the story of record school airs because it's sort of that's what the inciting incident was she yeah favor and she had to repay it she didn't (laughs) have a choice once they claimed it they claimed it Mm -hmm. and that set the whole thing in motion Um, but I like this idea of owing someone, but truly owing someone, not just, oh, I promise I'll do this. Like, because I find in the real world, we promise so many things to everyone. Mm -hmm. And if our words, I mean, if we were more important, we'd promise way less because we'd realize we'd really (laughs) deliver it. Yeah. Um, That's what the whole promise thing, the whole Mm -hmm. joy. Yeah. I just, I find it very um, interesting the way that you go about it because it ends up being, you know, a favor for a favor rather than um, in a lot of the books that I've read with fake characters, it goes from, you know, thanking uh, a fae or owing them a favor could result in, you know, like better job or no well it could result at the complete opposite, right? In servitude forever, right? Um, that is true. You essentially owe your whole life to this fae character rather than just owing a favor. Um, especially yeah. if you break the bargain, there are very severe consequences that are not only physical. Um, so I, I really liked, I thought it was really interesting too, that it, it kind of focuses on like a tit for tat, like only one, like one favor being owed for per each favor that happens yeah. essentially. No, because I do, I do want a certain amount of equality, but I, mm-hmm. I think that's important in like relationships between people. I find if the the problem with like the fairy, like true fairy worlds is that usually like, you know, there's the king and they're, they're mm-hmm. all powerful. And I like the idea that everyone, wherever you come from, can have yeah. a little power. Mm-hmm. Was it difficult to oh. create the prison world that, but it was fun. It was really fun. I watched Jumanji with my kids. <laughs> yeah. And I watched it. I was like, whoa, I want to write that. So that's <laughs> kind of how Reckless Cool Airs came to be. Like the prison world was kind of a Jumanji-esque, like yeah. ridiculous world. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely that it gave me direction. Um, mm-hmm again, influenced by like what I watch, what I see, what I... Yeah. So then the last question that I have about the Lost Clan series is in Reckless Cruel Heirs, it begins with Kat and Ace struggling to carry a baby to term. Why did you yes. think that this addition of, um, in this case, yet another miscarriage for this couple, why was it so important to the story? Um, you know, I, I hesitated a long time to actually keep this chapter in, um, for personal reasons. I've never actually miscarried, um, but my little sister miscarried at eight months. It was heartbreaking. And, um, and I know like it is, 
I, I mean, whatever month you miscarry, it can be heartbreaking because you get attached to the child. In this particular, I mean, I did keep it because I found like their love for Amara would have been huge anyway, whether they had her right away or not. But when you've dreamed of a child for so long and you've mm -hmm. tried and you've tried and you've tried, they become just the most precious thing to you. I mean, even when you don't miscarry, children do become the most precious thing to you. But this, this like desire, this, this um, I, I don't know, I just felt with all their combination of powers, first off, it wouldn't make sense that they just have a baby and pop them out like this. I don't, it's mm -hmm. so silly, right? But it's just like, I find when people are from very different cultures, I mean, they do, usually the children are actually healthier and everything else, but you know, I don't, I don't know. I found it very, I, I wanted to just, I think that I, I, I it just made sense in my head that they wouldn't have had a child that easily mm -hmm. because they were so different, the, mm -hmm. the two of them. Um, and that Amara wanted her to be like a, a single baby if they'd had like, so if they, you know, if she'd had so many siblings, she would have been a very different person also. You're so influenced by like how you grow up. And yeah. as like the only heir to a kingdom, like you grow up very differently. Mm -hmm. um, It'll be interesting eventually if I write Gia's story because she's a twin. So it's very, it's again, like twin with like a brother. So it's very different again, like the dynamics of it. Um, yeah. Awesome. Okay. So let's move on to the Boulder Wolf series. What inspired yeah. you to create this story? Um, this one was definitely inspired by just exploring the place of women, like modern, modern place of women in society, um, in still an alpha centric society. And since I decided to write about shifters, I mean, shifters are all about alphas. I think you can probably tell that I've read way more shifter stories than I did Faye stories because it is mm -hmm. closer to what you already have. Um, and in this case, it was less about like creating my own myth as cre recreating the world uh, and, and the, through, through showing the world through a paranormal lens. So mm -hmm. using a society that, you know, the, that exists for fantasy readers and applying like the modern world rules to it. And so the character of Ness was very important that she be the only girl in her pack. I wanted the the pack dynamic to be uh, not accepting of her. I wanted it to be a struggle. And um, and so that, that was my, my, uh, my initial, how the series started. I knew it was gonna be a trilogy from that point on. It was not supposed to uh, swing the way it did Love Triangle. Believe it or not, she was supposed to end up with Liam. <laughs> Um, and then midway through book one or book two, I forget, then I was thinking of killing off Liam. <laughs> Awful author. And then I grew <laughs> to attach my, my character and I was like, oh, I can't kill him. Too bad. There's going to be the love triangle and that's, that's it. <laughs> Even though not the haters of love triangle, you'll just have to like, you know, get, just keep on reading it. Um, because I know love triangles, it's, it's a very funny thing. I, I personally love love triangles, 
But it is true when you get attached to one of the guys and it's not the guy that ends up like you can get very frustrated as a reader. <laughs> and I think a lot of readers will tell you they hate love triangles because of that. But as an author, what I find like uh, fascinating and that proves that you've done a good job is if you've managed to sway the reader's heart uh, to be yeah. the same as the character's heart. Um, but for that, you do have to paint your first hero in a pretty bad light. Right now, I'm actually um, thinking about writing a vampire series. I mean, I know I'm going to write a vampire series next. Um, and I'm debating whether to add a love triangle to it, even though all my readers will say, no, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> so <laughs> I might still do it. I'm a little Machiavellian in that way. Um, so that's where uh, that's how the story of Ness in an all-male pack started. I wanted afterwards that there was an actual reason it was an all-male pack. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a little bit of like a little, you know, far-fetched magical story, but it's yeah, so we're allowed, right? Um, the pack tradition ceremonies, mind speak, faded mates, mating things, everything. Yeah, everything's in there because. Again, like the thing that shifter romance readers love is the faded mates and they love like these alpha males. So you have yeah. to, even if you have an alpha female, you still, there's certain things that you need to keep. I mean, I could have written about an all female society, but it's very different. Like the, it would be a very emasculating world for shifter male. Um, and I didn't want to write that romance uh, at that point. Maybe one day I'll explore something <laughs> else, but who knows? Um, so that's why I stuck to like shifter romance tropes that do exist, that people expect. Mm -hmm. um, I, you already said that as soon as you started writing it, you you decided that it was going to be a trilogy. At what point did you decide that you were going to add spinoff books? Um, when I had so many people who loved Liam from book one, for me, I've always loved Liam. Like he was, strangely enough, he didn't in the end, like by book two, I decided he just didn't suit Ness anymore. Just mm -hmm. for what she needed and what she wanted as a character. Yeah. He suited me perfectly though. <laughs> <laughs> I brought him back to, uh, uh, that's why I brought him back in fourth book. And I created a girl from a very normal family with like lots of siblings. Mm -hmm. Um so it's just it, because she suited the man he'd become better mm -hmm. but this is why his spinoff came it wasn't I had not planned the spinoff right away but I did always want to give Liam a happy ending what made you decide to change this enemies to lovers story into a faded mates love triangle um, I had the faded mate part from the beginning. So that was, I, I don't know if you remember, but in like the first, first chapters, she has a scene where she's with August right before he leaves. And there, there's already like, it's forming, this bond is mm -hmm. forming. Um, yeah. so whatever happened, like in my head, I already had the faded mate, uh, love triangle mm. aspect. I, mean, I um, at, I tell you, at the beginning of book two, I really wanted her to reject her mate. I mm. really did. Okay. I know it's like a trend right now to reject your mate. Um, but again, it's just the personality of the 
of the, the character suited my character better. It's, it's very strange. I let the characters kind of dictate the story, how they grow, where they go. It's, it's um, I mean, of course they live in my head, but they also like start to live on the page. Like they just evolved very differently. Um, so Faded Mates, I mean, it's a shifter romance. I needed a Faded Mate story. And Love Triangles, again, I love Love Triangles as a as a reader. So, and I didn't, I had some a reader actually described the Rose Petal Graves as a love square. And it's true, there's so many love interests. In <laughs> yeah. It really amused me actually to read that. But it's true, there's, uh, it wasn't a love triangle. She just wasn't sure, you know, where she was standing and there was all this new thing around her. So it's very different. But yeah, but. Older Wolves was really built to be a love triangle from the very beginning. And unfortunately with love triangles, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. But Someone always gets left out. Yeah. And I do not like reverse harem. So you'll never see me writing reverse harem. Because <laughs> um, I do like the idea that two souls, you know, they're enough for each other. You don't need a third person in the mix. So. Mm-hmm. Why was it important for Ness to create such a strong friendship with Sarah, who was, who we find out later is part of a rival pack? Um, I've, I've always, I mean, I always find it's very important for my characters to have a very strong friendship. Um, funny enough, Katori didn't really have a very strong female friendship. She had friends. Yeah. She didn't have strong female uh, friendship. For Ness, who had no family at all, like, and who was a little bit more, I want to say she was broken, whereas Kat was whole. I mean, she, you know, she went through hardships, but she's a much tougher character. Like she's, Mm -hmm. uh, Ness was more broken and she, I found she needed, she needed a friend and an all male pack, you don't have any girls. So you have to be from either a human (laughs) or a rival pack. And I like the character of Sarah, who is from a rival pack. So she showed her another way of living your shifter life, if you want. Um, so that's how Sarah came to be. Um, she just was an important, Ness needed a really good friend and I wanted her to be part of the magic crew system so that there'd be a really strong core understanding between the two. Okay, perfect. The next question I have is why was it so important to the story to have her loyalty once again questioned um, by the pack when in reality we as the readers know she did nothing wrong? Um, because unfortunately, I think this is the way of life. Like you, even if like your close group of people around you know that you haven't done anything wrong, society may still judge you wrong. And in her case, the pack was like her family. So the fact of being like accepted, rejected, accepted, rejected, it creates, it, it tears, it tears something inside of you every time, but scar tissue is stronger than it. It also makes you stronger for it. Um, I it's not that I think that her entry into the pack was that easy because it wasn't, I didn't make it mm-hmm. too easy for her to get in. Um, but at some point, you know, like she realized like when she started being friends with Matt and she just realized that it wasn't all like, they weren't all evil, like yeah, um, all evil guys that they just didn't know what she was and they didn't know how to deal with her. I think it was also a way to show, um, 
that however much a group of people can change, they still have inherent values. So this pack of all males then trust her because she's different. Mm-hmm. Then they let her in. And I think it wouldn't be overnight that suddenly, you know, she's their sister and it's fine. Yeah. It's, I think they'd still have like, uh, it just made sense that they would reject her again. Like she'd have to rewin her spot. It's because that's the way like people are close. I mean, most people are close-minded and it just takes more than one time to like get something through you. Mm-hmm. Um, and to become like for it to be acceptable. Why did you feel it was so important to have Nikki and Ness be so different from each other? Um, because of what Liam needed. If I created a second, another version of Ness, which I could have done, like the broken, bitter, she could have even come from another pack or God knows something else. Um, but I didn't. I wanted, because Liam grew into somebody else, I really felt like Nikki was the person that he needed. I know it sounds Mm -hmm. so uh, strange, but I kind of, I was trying to put myself in Liam's position of like, what are you looking for as like, you know, where you are in your life? And it just, she felt like the right person. And then her story and like the fact that she has a very very normal family life and a normal life and you know I mean she she had an accident it does she it did shape her she is a survivor in a way but I think all my heroines always come from like these broken families or no families or one parent died and I just thought how about I both parents are alive this time around and how about she has a huge support system Mm -hmm. um, instead of always having to create her own support system and I wanted that to contrast enormously with Liam, who's really on his own. I mean, he is mm-hmm. on his own. I mean, as a leader, you are already like kind of on your own, but like as a, as a human, he's on his own. He has his baby now, but it's still not the same, you know, like in mm-hmm. yeah, he has to take care of himself. So I just wanted somebody very different than him. So that's how Nikki, why Nikki was very different than us. And she's a little older, I think. No, actually, well, I think Ness, yeah, was 17 going on 18 when I started writing the story. Nikki's 19, again, shaped by different things in life. And so mm-hmm. she's supposed to be a little bit more mature. A pack of storms and stars is a little bit more mature also um, as a storyline. Why was Nikki's injury important to the storyline? Um, because at the same time, I didn't want to create the perfect boring character. Okay, you have that. But also yeah. I find like when you have, when you surpass something like an emotional traumatic event, I don't know if you've ever had like a big physical injury in your life or you know, you've gone near death. I mean, I've had a couple of years ago, I had a huge operation and it's like I had three in a row almost. And you know, I gained this close and I was just like, it didn't reshape me completely as a person because my scars aren't like visible, but it did reshape the way I um, went about my life, like what was important. Um, I want to say on a day-to-day basis, unfortunately you forget, you know, you're not, I don't 
live thinking, oh, thank, thank you for every minute that I have. But I do stop more often than I used to and think, wow, I'm really lucky to be here. Mm -hmm. I'm lucky to have this. Um, so I wanted Nikki to have gone through something like this, like to have a scar that at the same time is visible if she wants it to be visible. It's not the same scar as Ness ends up having at the end of the book, but it's still a scar like because it's 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 made it hard for her to be a wolf even i mean it just made it everything harder um and it is true when it, when it's one of your limbs that's affected i mean it's just like it, it's challenging it, you really have um other challenges to surpass so i mean this is why i gave her i mean from the get-go she was going to have a scar um she was going to have a problem with her leg at one point I actually thought about having it removed. I mean, like having part of her, you know, like having a, and then I was, I shied away from writing that because it's a very, very, very um, complex uh, medical. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Like, um, so I kept her leg, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Um, at the very end of the book you mentioned that there's another book coming in this series in the future do you plan on yes. continuing this series much longer or just adding one more book every time I say I'm adding only one more book <laughs> and then you get another one and then it really depends like which there's some characters and usually this is why I skip to the next generation you asked this in the bonus questions but I'll answer it my favorite character that I've almost um, honestly that I've ever created is Lucas, mm. which is very strange because he's always a supporting character. Um, yeah. He's in the Wolf series. He's always there for comic relief and also for being, uh, for saying things like speaking his mind and saying things that are very uncouth, but it's okay because he says it with, because he's, you know, turned himself into like not a nice person anyway mm -hmm. like not a politically correct person not a he's not a misogyny he's not a um, in the end he's not sexist but he's uh he has some interesting uh ways of seeing the world and i wanted to write lucas and sarah's story i really 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 did and then i just uh, most of my stories stem from a romance and mm -hmm. for me i couldn't imagine um, if I wrote Lucas and Sarah's story, for example, it would have had to come before Liam's. Mm -hmm. I, it wouldn't have like, yeah. they wouldn't have waited a year and a half in between. And since I really wanted to write Liam's first, I, I could, I'm not going to go back and write, um, Sarah and Lucas, although people have been like hounding me for a novella. So maybe I'll write that eventually. But, um, this is why by writing Lark, it's kind of like writing Sarah and Lucas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Without too many spoilers. Um, <laughs> so it'll be, it'll be my, my way of adding that. As for planning spinoffs, I mean, it really depends just whose mind I want. I have some stories where I just, I see the stories coming and I just, it feels right to tell them from that particular character. Mm -hmm. I like next generation stories, just like that have, you don't have to stir the same drama of like the whole thing. And it's yeah. like, you can, it's kind of, turning a fresh page but it's still all the characters you love um I mean I think my dream come true would be to have the romance of every character in the seven Fr brides for seven brothers to each have their own movie 
oh yeah and see kids movies and you know mm-hmm. this is what I love about spin House. at the same uh, at the same time I like the mystery of it not knowing and being able to imagine it myself so mm-hmm. I don't know so again for spin-offs it's really like if inspiration hits or if I want to revisit a world it's a great way to go back in mm-hmm. awesome it was such a pleasure talking thank you, to you yeah thank you so much for taking the time <laughs> To answer my question. Building all these like, great questions to make me re- revisit like the past years of my life and all these <laughs> characters. Mm-hmm. Like seeing, it's like having a big friend reunion. We had a great time. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to read the series we discussed today, the Lost Clan series or the Boulder Wolves series, you can start with Rose Petal Graves, the first book of the Lost Clan series, or A Pack of Blood and Lies, which is the first book of the Boulder Wolf series. All of her works are available on Amazon. If you are interested in checking out other works by Olivia Wildenstein, check out her website or the list of works posted on my website. The Tumblr page, which I normally post supplementary materials on, is no longer active. Everything has been moved to my official website, NovelCulturePodcast.com. All extra articles relating to this episode and all prior episodes are up in the blog section on my website. I would love to hear from you. Leave a comment about what you liked, what you disliked, what I got wrong, or just to send me some love. I would also love to hear suggestions for future episodes. Season 3 will be filled with listener-suggested books. We are also on Instagram at Novel Culture Podcast and Twitter at Novel Culture Pod. I also have an official Facebook page under Desiree Rose, where I also post updates about episodes and materials that go up on my website. Just search for Desiree Rose Author. There is also a Facebook group under Novel Culture Discussion Group that you can join. It is linked to the Desiree Rose author page, so if you find that, just click groups and you'll be able to find the group. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or a platform that supports reviews and liked the show, please leave a review. This makes it easier for others to find the podcast and start listening. I really hope that you guys enjoyed season one, and we will be back with season two at the end of summer. Have a great summer!